We are a resource for learners, including every member of the Livestrong Cancer Institute's on-track educational pipeline from middle school to residency. We are a growing collection of interviews, talks, and experiences that uncover the myths and the uncertainties of cancer and careers in cancer in order to empower and inspire generations of thinkers and leaders. This is Cancer Uncovered, an education and empowerment podcast by the Livestrong Cancer Institutes. Hello, and welcome back to Cancer Uncovered. This is Nick Smith-Stanley with the Livestrong Cancer Institutes. In December of 2018, the Livestrong Cancer Institutes opened its doors to our first patients. Initially, we treated patients with gastrointestinal cancers. Since then, we have expanded our services to include hematological malignancies, lung and head and neck cancers. In the coming year, we are excited to continue to grow as we begin treating patients with breast cancer. We wanted to find out what it was like to be a physician in an emerging cancer center. We decided to shadow assistant professor Dr. Anna Capasso to learn what a typical day is like for an oncologist. Dr. Capasso is a medical oncologist who treats GI cancers and is also a researcher who focuses on phase one clinical trials. So sit back and enjoy a day in the life of a medical oncologist. This is Cancer Uncovered. We join Dr. Capasso as she starts a typical Thursday morning with a GI huddle. A GI huddle is an opportunity for the Livestrong Cancer Institute's clinical team to meet and discuss specific patients. So right now we have what we call our GI huddle, which is the gastrointestinal sort of meeting with all the team. And usually what we do, we sort of like get together with the entire team. So it's going to be the entire SWAT team and sort of go over the list of active patients that we have currently in the clinic just to discuss about, you know, their treatment, how they're doing, where they're at, if there's any issue and sort of give an update to all the patients that are actively being treated at our site. Hello, ladies. Good morning. Hey, Anna, do I need to add the guy that you saw yesterday? Is he going to be an active person? Yes, yes. It's probably going to be in a while because he's going to need first some liver-directed therapy, and that's probably going to happen mid of September. But he's coming to us, and actually some of you guys should start seeing him, especially uh, Crystal. I think he was really interested in seeing a dietitian. He has a multifocal HCC, uh, so he is actually going to le- need some liver-directed therapy. He's going to do some tastes uh, in mid-September, according to the, the plan between him and Dr. Hymas, and he might really need like a first-line systemic treatment. So we did discuss him last week at our multi-D, and after sort of like uh, talking to Gil and also Jaw, like the idea would be for him to go on a Tedzo-Bev, so immunotherapy plus the antigenetic drug. So the idea for him is going to be to get taste and then six weeks after taste, get an MRI, take a look at, you know, his images at the multi-D and then see if we can get him started after like within eight weeks with a Tedzobev. So that would be sort of the strategy for now. Okay, thanks, Anna. We'll get him. We'll do like a SWAT light to start. Mm-hmm. The SWAT team is basically the main component of our clinical team. We have two advanced nurse practitioners and a PA that is a physician assistant, and they're really highly qualified clinicians, and they're really good about like helping us follow patients and you know uh, discuss about treatment options and medications they're on, and follow with possible toxicities that are due to the treatment that we give in medical oncology. So they really are sort of like you know 
know, hands-on and really help all the physicians within the clinic to follow most of our patients to be sure that they're doing well and follow up with them and check on them and do, you know, like all the visits to uh, be sure that the patient is fit enough to be on treatment or continue with treatment. Also participating in the GI huddle is senior GI oncologist and chair of the Department of Oncology, S. Gail Eckhart, who not only provides input on patient cases, but also valuable mentorship and leadership advice. So the only thing I wanted to say to the team about this patient, because there was a lot of um, back and forth, and um, it's wonderful that Anna and he set up a good relationship is, um, you know, every once in a while we get these kind of challenging patients. And so as a team, you know, if, if things start going overboard with him, then just making sure that we decide how to best convey, you know, what our requirements are for, you know, how we're treated as a team and those kind of things. After wrapping up the GI huddle, Dr. Capasso was on her way to the UT Health Austin Health Transformation Building, the home of the clinical enterprise of the Dell Medical School, where Dr. Capasso would see her first patient. I'm just writing notes about this next patient that I'm going to see. I usually don't like to bring my computer with me in the room with the patient because it's distracting. And then like you end up looking at your screen and not really the patient in the eye. So I'd rather bring like a little sheet of paper with some notes and write down things that he refers to me or things that I want to remember myself that I want to discuss with him. Uh, so to be more, you know, like present and be able to really have that nice eye to eye interaction with them. Hello, how are you? Don't worry, sit down. We have to keep social distances. So I'm going to wash my hands first uh, to keep, you know, like all nice and safe. How are you? Good. How's it going? Monica was just telling me about the numbness. I know that this is very uncomfortable, but unfortunately, one of the drugs that we gave you to sort of control your disease, right? Because you had the surgery actually a year ago because you had surgery on the 26th so, of August of 2019. So it's been already a year, so that's oh, great. Yeah, yeah. Right? It's been already a year. I, I, was, I was just looking at the dates and then you had to start with the chemotherapy and the chemotherapy we gave you was just to sort of like combine the effort of the surgery to cure, cure you from cancer and reduce all the risks of having the cancer come back in five years, right? But really, unfortunately, one of the drugs that I gave you, the oxaliplatin, is the one that can cause this, what we call neuropathy. One of the drugs that we give a lot in uh, gastrointestinal cancer is called oxaliplatin. And oxaliplatin can cause this side effect, this sort of toxicity on the nerves. And really what it causes, it's sort of like this numbness. And so people feel like sort of this numbness or they are not able to uh, button and unbutton their like shirt because they have like issues or like count money because really gives like sort of mobility issues. It's pretty common, I want to say. Not everybody have it, but like most of the people get it. And of course, it doesn't happen right at the beginning of the treatment, but after like six or eight cycles that they receive this drug, it starts to manifest. And when it starts coming and, you know, patients get really uncomfortable, sometimes we have to get rid of the drug. So this is, I know it's a very, very uncomfortable side effect. I can hope is that over time, this is going to get better. So then the other thing, you know, when I saw you at the end of the chemotherapy, 
I told you a little bit what we were gonna do in the next five years, right? That I still need to see you for the first two years every six months and we have to get some labs drawn and also like some imaging done just to see that there's no more no more cancer in your body that doesn't come back. And then after the first two years, when we get in the third year, then we can meet once a year up to five years. And then after five years, hopefully everything I'm hoping is gonna look yes, fine. And so you're not gonna need to see me anymore, okay? Thank you. Yeah, sure, absolutely. You're welcome to come and see us if you enjoy seeing us, for sure. But there's really going to be no needs, okay? Feel free to call us and talk to me or Monica, and we can get back to you, and you can come see me anytime, whenever you need. Okay. Thank you. Okay, yes, of course. Thank you. Take care. Bye-bye. Next up for Dr. Capasso was a telemedicine visit with her second patient. Because of the COVID-19 pandemic, the vast majority of UT Health Austin and LCI patients have been moved to telehealth appointments. Hello. Hello. Hi, how are you? Yeah, so COVID has been changing a lot our practice for sure. And now we've been implementing telehealth, something that we never thought would, was going to be possible probably like months ago, right? But probably in February, some people were discussing, oh, we should switch to telehealth and nobody agreed. But then when you see the needs, then it happens, right? And it happens like in a day. So right now, I want to say that most of my um, appointments are through telehealth. And that's because our patients are actually immunocompromised. That means that chemotherapy can sort of reduce their, what we have as a mechanism in our body to like defend us from any infection. So they're little more, more delicate, I would say, respect to other, you know, people with other uh, medical issues. But we try to keep them safe. So we're reducing the walking in clinic, you know, appointments and in-person appointments can really reduce, you know, uh, social uh, contact and so really maintain them as, you know, as sort of like safe and like healthy as possible. Throughout the week, the LCI hosts various multidisciplinary tumor boards where physicians, clinicians, researchers, and students gather to discuss specific patient cases. Each Thursday afternoon, Dr. Capasso participates in the GI Multi-D meeting. We have the pathology that actually connect with their computer, so they go through the slides and take a look at the pathology and go over the pathology report, but also like really sort of do like an educational review of the patient because they really show us the area of what its normal tissue respect to tumor, so that's really informative. Same thing with the radiologist. The radiologist goes through the scan and shows us the liver, the lungs, the areas that are sort of suspicious for something or the area where the tumor is located. And then the medical oncologists jump in and discuss a little bit about, like, you know, possible treatment options and also the surge onc for sure. Yeah, so that's really nice. Oh, and uh, then we can probably start with your patient, patient number two. Yeah, yeah. sure, definitely. <laughs> Radiology. Yeah, de yes. He was actually a patient that was referred to me from Alex Heinz, Dr. Heinz. So his history basically started, like, back in end of May, beginning of June, when he started having really a bad back pain. He did some workup, but unfortunately, at the end of the day, he was diagnosed with a malignant tumor of the pancreas. All right, a few things. So on the top is your most recent scan from August 24th. The bottom is from June 5th. We've been following some pulmonary nodules. For example, this one in the right middle lobe and the right lower lobe. That's that right middle lobe nodule. That's probably that right lower lobe nodule. So that's better. There is a hepatic nodule that we've been following, which I think it's hard to know if it's related to the timing of the... Although the phase of contrast is pretty similar, similar between the two of them, but it looks a little bit more prominent in size as compared with the prior 
Now, I mean, I don't know how much of that maybe is no longer enhancing just because he's been on treatment or if that truly is, you know, a larger nodule. So this is kind of a mixed bag as far as imaging goes. And even though his CA-199 is coming down, there are some findings that are suggesting progression of disease, but then those pulmonary nodules look better. So it's, it's, a, it's a mixed appearance. Yeah. So Anna, how yes. is he tolerating the fulfurinox? He's, he's doing really well. I mean, he had just like a sort of infusion reaction at the very beginning, but we just decided to prolong the infusion of Rubinotecan because symptoms were seems to be related to Erie. And he's doing really well. He's feeling great. I feel like probably we should continue a little bit more on the fulfurinox. Um, yeah, I would agree. Go a couple of months to exactly. make sure that he's got full molecular testing done yeah. in preparation. I mean, I guess second line or you could get gemabraxine, but I don't right. know that I would jump ship at this point. Yeah, yeah, completely agree. Thanks. Okay, okay, perfect. Thank you, everybody. Thank you. Usually these are new patients that get referred, so like patients that are have been diagnosed somehow with cancer. So usually we sort of discuss patients that already have a diagnosis or are uh, highly suspicious of having cancer. And the physician that is referring the patient has, you know, the need to discuss with other physicians that are in the room what to do next. Because sometimes, you know, like, we are doctors and we should know what to do, but sometimes, like, the answer is not, like, you know, right there. So sometimes you really want to sort of, like, talk to other colleagues and see what they're, they think, what their advice would be, or if they had a similar case. Uh, you know, those really sort of, like, tougher cases or really not clear cases. So these are, you know, situation where the GI teams jumps on and they're like, what should I do here? Or, you know, cases where the surgeons are, should I do surgery or should I get some chemotherapy first? You know, so it's, it's really variable. I mean, other cases are, you know, when we have a patient that it's already in treatment, but it has like a CT that was done and the radiologist writes down that might be cancer, but we don't know exactly. So it's nice to sit down in the room with the radiologist for us medical oncologists and, and really ask, can you like sort of clarify or help us like sort of navigate through those images and give us, you know, more an idea what we should be doing. And sometimes if there's not a clear answer, we sort of like, you know, have the surgeons jump in and help us with that as well. And there might be the case where they suggest, you know, we should do a biopsy or, you know, we should do other exams, other procedures that can help really with the diagnostic, you know, in the diagnostic process. As we have seen throughout the morning, so much of Dr. Capasso's work focuses on the patient's care plans by collaborating with other clinicians to get their perspective on patient cases. As some cases become more complex than others, Dr. Capasso works closely with members of the LCI team to provide better whole patient care. After the GI Multi-D meeting, Dr. Capasso met up with Dr. Declan Fleming to discuss her next patient. Dr. Fleming is an associate professor at Dell Medical School's Department of Surgery and Perioperative Care and is the associate director of surgical services for the Livestrong Cancer Institutes. So I'm glad you're here today because I think that this patient is really very complex uh, in that his, um, number one, his tumor was sort of sitting in a bad place and we really needed to see a response from his chemotherapy and radiation therapy just to get to the point where I would feel confident we could do a surgery that would be successful for him. But right now, I think the biggest issues for him are medical issues, are the things that would make it uh, not smart for us even to consider doing surgery for him. So, so uh, what are your thoughts about uh, the way his uh, 
tumor marker is vacillated up and down. So it started like as we said in the 2700, so like it was pretty positive and then we were able to serve him with this systemic treatment that it's indicated for his borderline receptable pancreatic cancer. And actually we saw a trend going down in the thousands, so that was actually really um, interesting and promising in terms of like the response to treatment that we also noticed on the CT scan, so yeah. imaging wise. And then we had to sort of had a longer break and get him get some radiation that also can sort of help your work, your job in trying to resect it and get like a total resection. But then unfortunately we saw the tumor marker bumping up. So that's a little concerning of course, like medically. Right. Um, in terms of like how the we still are seeing some sort of, you know, a stability of the disease by imaging, but that's not gonna be the only way for us to evaluate him and really understand if is still responding or if there's anything else happening that it's concerning for possible spread of the disease and so that's going to be challenging to sort of like follow but also to make the right medical decision and surgical decisions right. so definitely that's something that we have to consider is there a circumstance in which we might consider doing some additional systemic therapy or was that so tough on him physically that it's better to be backed off yeah, from it? That's a great point and I was thinking while we were discussing him at the tumor board today, that would be something that we want to consider because technically if we don't see any other evidence of disease elsewhere, it means that he would still biologically respond to the treatment that we've been using so far. So we would probably put him back on some chemotherapy and really try to understand right the timing because right. if it's going to be like a couple months for definitely you want to control right. that you know local disease and avoid any possible spread or local spread that would make him unresectable. If we if we were going to do additional systemic therapy, would you go back to the gemcitabine and brexin? If there's no evidence of progression of disease, I would still play with the same player. Got it. After meeting with Dr. Fleming, it was time for Dr. Capasso to return to the Health Transformation Building to meet with her final patient of the day. Hi there. Hi, how are you? So I'm glad to see you. I haven't seen you in a while. How are you doing? I'm doing well, doing well. Yes, how are you doing? Good, thank you. So how are you feeling? Uh, feeling good, uh, a little anxious I know. about meeting, um, yeah. but um, but physically feel, you know, feel good. Okay, so I want to say that I have good news. Okay, good. Yeah, good. so the CT actually is showing overall response on the lung. So some of the lesions that we were able to see in the lungs got very, like, smaller. So that actually is good news because it means that the treatment that we're using is really working well on the lungs. On the liver, overall, it's pretty stable. Yeah, I mean, I, I feel good. Um, the, you know, the, the, the weight has finally, like, it's stabilized and mm -hmm. it kind of stayed at the same level. And um, the last time we did a weigh that, you know, it was actually up a couple pounds, so that's good. That's um, good. You know, and, you know, yeah, there's... I feel like I get, you know, a little, a little tired, you know, after the chemo and, and I can definitely tell that it's, it gets a little bit harder each time, you know, and a little bit, a little bit longer to kind of get back to the point where I feel like I'm, I'm back to normal. Uh -huh. um, and so that's why it just feels like it'd be awesome to have, have a little break just to kind of catch up a little bit. Sure. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I feel like I haven't had any of the, you know, like throwing up or, um, or any of the, you know, like the, the more significant side effects that, okay. that, you know, we were prepared for. Right. Um, but okay. yeah, and I think that the, the treatments that he's been getting are working. I mean, just from his physical ability is working really well. That's good. I mean, okay. so much, you know, better than either of us had anticipated, you know, just when you hear about what, you know, what's going to happen. I think right. he's been doing, it's been doing great. Yeah. And hasn't been like a, 
really bad side effects or anything. Okay. So you yeah. feel like you're, you're tolerating well. Very well. Yeah. That's I think good. so. Oh yeah. Perfect. Yeah. And, and I mean the, the pain level is, is almost insignificant. Right. Um, well, you know, that's, so, you have to thank yeah, Emily for that. that. Yeah. There, there was one, there was one uh, incident like right after the, the very first chemo mm-hmm. uh, with, uh, with constipation and oh my goodness, that was, that was horrific, <laughs> but you know, and it, and it, you know, we didn't know really what to expect. And so we thought, oh gosh, is this what each of the chemos is going to be like? Cause it was, it was the most painful thing I think I had ever experienced uh, in my life and, and come to find out it was most likely constipation. Um, mm-hmm. But boy, that is um, I hope that makes it in the podcast. Is that, uh, <laughs> we're gonna we're, <laughs> we're gonna we're gonna highlight that, and Nick is already yeah. writing a note, yeah. so don't worry. Uh, Definitely, boy, but that is that's real. I noticed on the call that there, or I noticed during the GI huddle that um, there was a lot of discussion about the the patient's own goals, and the goals didn't always have to do with clinical outcomes. So, can you talk about that a little bit, and and how? the clinical team really tries to focus on some of those non-clinical goals and outcomes when, when you're coming up with a treatment plan? The goals for patients is not necessarily just curing cancer, but also taking care of their body and their, you know, like them as people. So the really unique thing about our clinic and the SWAT team is that we can really sort of try to fulfill those needs. So we try to get together and you know, like it's not only the medical oncologist, so it's just not myself meeting with the patient. Usually I meet with them the very at the very beginning because we have a diagnosis and I have to tell them about that and I have to tell them what that means and the severity, what their life is going to look like. But, you know, really, I'm trying to treat their cancer. And unfortunately, as I said before, not always I have the expertise or the time to discuss about other things that are still important during, you know, the cancer journey. So it's really important for us to have other team members that are specialized in emotional support and pain medications and diet and fertility in order to really jump in and discuss with the patients what other needs are. Yeah, because the need can be to get a pill to sort of like treat their cancer or cure their cancer, but that's not going to be all. So they're going to have other things that are going to go on during that cancer journey. And so it's really important for us to be able to understand those from the very beginning. I believe like one of the major goals for most of my patients is really maintain their quality of life or try to be able to do things that they normally do during their daily life. So being able to cook, being able to drive their kids to school, being able to, you know, like go to work, continue their life, have their social, um, you know, like life as well, try to be able to meet with friends and feel good, even if they're on chemotherapy. And unfortunately, like many other drugs, chemotherapy can give some side effects and some of those side effects can make them very sick. And so we try to compensate, you know, with having all the team on board and try to discuss these from sort of day one with the patient so that we really know what the patient's needs are. So these are very difficult conversations that you're having, both with your colleagues and the patients and their families. How do you do it? 
generally a very, very emotional person. And sometimes I think about it and I, you know, feel like, how can we really do this? And especially when you have to give bad news to patients. And that's really emotional for us. And so that's why I feel like having such a great team that works with me, especially like having Angela and, you know, like our psycho-oncologist, sometimes discussing with them the best way to approach our patient and really getting that uh, sort of support from them helps me really a lot in my job. What I try to do in my job, I really try to show people that I really love my job and I do it because I really believe in what I do and I really try to be there to help them. And so I really show them sort of my heart. It's really emotional. I have to say I go back home sometimes and I, you know, I still think about the conversation I had and, you know, like being a person, it's like inedible. I think it's just like normal, but that's also the privilege that I think I have on my job. That's a privilege. The fact that you can talk with people and even if they get mad at you or not, or some of them really hug you and they're really grateful for all you've been doing for them. But it's a privilege for me to be able to really live that moment with them and being able to share with them that moment because these are really unique and hard situations. So we should still be grateful for, you know, what we do in our job. I hope you enjoyed this brief look into the day in the life of a medical oncologist. I want to thank Dr. Anna Capasso, her team, and her patients for allowing me to spend the day with them to learn firsthand how the Livestrong Cancer Institute is reinventing cancer care and research. Next week, we will release part two of this episode, which features a conversation where we learn more about Dr. Capasso, her research, and her experiences as a woman in oncology. I'm Nick Smith-Stanley with the Livestrong Cancer Institute, and this has been Cancer Uncovered. For more information on the Livestrong Cancer Institute, check out delmed.utexas.edu. You can follow our director on Twitter at S. Gail Eckhart. Eckhart is spelled E-C-K-H-A-R-D-T. If you have questions or topics of ideas that we can uncover, email us at livestrongcancerinstitutes at austin.utexas.edu. Please make sure that institutes is plural. And if you liked our podcast, make sure you subscribe. This is Cancer Uncovered. Thank you for joining us.